It is Monday, the 31st of January. Actually, Janet Anscombe, I was talking to my sisters on Zoom, as, as we now do all the time, yesterday. And we all shared the feeling that it, it feels like we're halfway through 2022 already, that Christmas was months ago, and yet we're still in January. Are you feeling the same? Yes. What, I mean, time, has, time has started warping. I mean, that, to me, there is... There is a part of me that still feels I'm in March 2020. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Come <laughs> because, out. Come out. I'll help you out. <laughs> because we, we live so isolatedly and we have voluntarily very much restricted our bubble during COVID. And it's just gone on and on and on. So to some extent, we've loosened up a little bit and we are going out now and again. But, yeah, it feels like Christmas was... I don't know, six months ago. Like you say, well, halfway through the year. Yeah, and I mean, as I say, like that the back is well broken of 2022, but today, recording this episode of Canary Cast, we are still in January. Like, Just really? about, yeah, 31st of January. <laughs> 31st of January. Oh, well, anyway. It's going to be a long year. <laughs> Well, I hope, I mean, one hopes that after we get through January, it'll then just kind of gallop on and we could get. Well, it normally does, doesn't it? (laughs) Hopefully. Anyway, I'm Cleo. Janet's in the mountains. Welcome to CanaryCast, everybody. Hello, everyone. So listen, will we stick, because we've mentioned time and COVID and how, I mean, maybe the space-time continuum is actually being affected by COVID. Maybe we've discovered something. It's to do with space-time continuum. My science fiction nose is twitching. (laughs) <laughs> we are in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and we are probably in the restaurant at the end of the universe we probably are <laughs> but i mean it's okay because all you have to do is deposit one penny in your bank account now and by the time you get to eat your dinner you'll have paid for it so it's fine absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i think it's the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy co-written by terry pratchett Yes, the wonderful, magical Terry Pratchett, who right now is back in the news. I don't know whether you've heard, but there's a food writer called Jack Monroe. And she has the Twitter handle um, Bootstrap Cook. And she started 10 years ago um, dealing with the cost of living issues and how to cook. She was a single mum on Mm. benefits at the time. And she has, over the last 10 years, been banging this drum about food poverty and how people can cope with reduced income and feed their children decent food and how to keep them healthy. And over the last month or so, and it really is this recent, there has been a whole cost of living crisis that's being talked up by the media now because they scrapped, the the government in the UK has scrapped the £20 upgrade for the universal credit. They're talking about increasing national insurance contributions and possibly tax rises and of course Brexit's beginning to bite with food fuel prices and everything so she has become someone the media has started to seek out and over the last fortnight her life has changed completely because she's been on virtually every television and radio program that exists Mm. and she is now working on what she calls the Vimes Boots Index Love it. Which is going to be a food price index to help the less well off eat more sustainably and get the supermarkets to do something about their cheaper products, the basic value products that people need. And the whole story of the Vimes Boot Index, of course, is directly related to Terry Pratchett. 
and Sam Vimes. Sam Vimes, whose philosophy was that the poor can't afford a hundred pound pair of boots. So they have to buy a 20 pound pair of boots, but they wear out five times more quickly. So in the end, they spend far more as poor people on basics than the wealthy can. So the, the gap, the inequality gap keeps on increasing. So Terry Pratchett is very much a theme of the moment, as is Sam Vimes, one of my favorite characters. I know. And you know, you know why? Anyone who knows Terry Pratchett will know what we're talking about. And even though I think you and I are possibly slightly witchy, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but what I love about her, the way she blows away the kind of media presentation of say uh, consumer index price rises that are done in percentages she actually looks at the price of a bag of rice or a tin of beans or six eggs and shows that it's not a 12 percent increase it's possibly 125 percent increase in certain goods staple diet items and it's very basic shopping baskets that she's working from not highfalutin industry produced lists exactly and those Price increases, 10%, let's say 10% across the board or 5% inflation or whatever, that is going to hit poorer people more because that will impact their pocket far more than, say, 5% on a bottle of Hardy's wine. Yeah, 5% yeah, exactly. on a, when you, when you, as she says, when you go into a supermarket with a, with a notepad and pen because you can't afford to spend even two pence more. Because you don't have it. Then 5% increase is is a major thing. The reason I love Sam Vimes, by the way, is because he's married to Lady Sybil. And Lady Sybil keeps dragons. And if I love anything above anything, it is dragons. There are many reasons that you and I continue to be friends. And I think possibly our love (laughs) of dragons, Terry Pratchett, uh, Douglas Adams, and more uh, are just some of the reasons. Yeah, I like, but I like nearly... all of of Terry Pratchett's works. I mean, I love the wee man and um, the wee blue man. And I love the Unseen University and the librarian. And I love the witches. I love Granny Weatherwax. I I adore. Yes, I think we are molded. We are very much. And and I think one of the one of the things that molds our friendship so much is, is that we share Granny Weatherwax's philosophy. That you treat people like people, you don't treat people like things. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and that, that to me is something I live by. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do try. I try to. to. I try I'm to. sure I, I don't <laughs> succeed. Anyway, so the people who have now switched off completely because they have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, let's go back to COVID, boring COVID. Listen, people, um, I mean, one of the things I've been trying, for instance, for the English on radio program, I'm hoping to, I'd like to speak to somebody from Jet2 or from EasyJet because I want to talk to them about their plans for tourism, given that travel restrictions back into the UK have pretty much been now obliterated, lifted, you know, uh, cancelled completely. But it is really important still for people who are coming here on holidays to realise that it's not the same here, that there are still some restrictions in place for very good reason, because we are still recording um, an inordinate amount of deaths per head of population. And it's not fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, was it 14 last week, 14 people died? Last week, the other day, 17 died. Okay. That's that's from a population of two and a half million. So yeah, I mean, I remember a time not so long ago, several months ago, where the uh, the sort of daily rate of fatalities with COVID was, was about four. 
And if we got to seven, people were saying, oh, gosh, that's a lot. You know, this is canaries wide. And yeah. now and we're having we zero double figures. As well. Yeah, exactly. Now we're virtually in double figures every day. And today, Amos Garcia, who is the chief immunologist in the Canaries, has said, okay, look, we have to, we're back to percentages and, uh, and rates, because at the moment, uh, death rates overall are lower than they were in general. But over the last month, they've started to soar. And of course, as a percentage of cases, they look low, because we've got loads of cases here. But they're all Omicron, so that it's it's a real puzzle because we have Omicron B1 is the is the dominant strain here, and that is recognised as not being as severe as other as strains, Delta, for instance, yeah, as uh, yeah, exactly, and yet with all the blowing up of numbers that that represents, our death rates are very very high at the moment, and they shouldn't be for such a mild milder variant mm. and so nobody can really understand this and as Amos said this morning the figures for January as I said double figures virtually every day um, they are fatal now in Spanish fatal means bloody awful and it, it's quite an appropriate adjective isn't it in, in terms of English because they are fatal because yeah, these are, are fatalities fatal. yeah. and I mean I, I, I haven't in, seen the breakdown in terms of deaths versus booster shots versus um, no. other other ex pre-existing conditions. But I do know that certainly last week, most of the deaths were in the over 75 age group. Yeah, that doesn't mean the, that they're not less tragic or sad. No, the, the, the concern last week, one day, was that of something like 14 deaths, only two had pre-existing -con pre conditions. Okay, that is concerning. And that is supposed to be a major contributory factor, yeah. and yet only two out of double figures yeah. had pre-existing pre yeah. conditions, and they weren't all in their 70s and 80s either. Okay. So there is a bit of a confusion, but we, the one thing we have got, we've got two tools that we can use, and one is our high vaccination rate, which we don't have to do anything about, because we've now got a very good vaccination rate here in the Canaries. The other is face masks because it is now proven, it has been said from day one by some and now confirmed by the World Health Organization, COVID is airborne. Mm. It's not a case of droplets on things, it is a on case surfaces. of aerosol transmission. And the 90% secure way of stopping transmission is face masks. Mm. And you there are some others. who say they have to be FFP2 as well. Yeah. not just barrier mouse. But I was in Los Cristianos the other morning. I had no choice but to go. And I, I admit I try to avoid crowded places now. And I would say that no more than one in 10 was wearing a face mask properly. Yeah. Probably it was it was less even than that. But mm. of the of the nine out of 10 or even more who were not wearing them, some had none. And they looked like tourists. So maybe they are coming unaware that in all public spaces, indoors or out, you must wear a face mask, it's yep. the law. Yep. But of those who were clearly residents, the majority of them had masks around their chins or, or on their elbows. Why do people wear them on their elbows? Handy to get, I suppose. I see that a lot. Yes, I guess, I guess. Yeah. But it, it, it's, to me, astounding, appalling and terrifying. And it just confirms the fact that I'm staying up my mountain. Mm. It is. It, I see it all the time, Janet. I mean, where I live, where, and I, I mean, I will, I will admit to being lazy too. 
yeah, but if that's when you're on your own and there's no one around you, Christiana's exactly. people were walking in, you know, cheek by jowl. It's, it's a busy town. It's a busy town, and they are yeah. cheek by jowl, and they're walking yeah. past each other yeah. and very close to each other. Obviously, not together. The one and a half to two meter distance certainly doesn't exist. I mean, that is. Well, I mean, no, nobody is distancing. The, no. the thing that grieves me the most, and I know it grieves other people as well, is that to some extent, it's human nature. Who's going to do anything that's inconvenient or uncomfortable unless they absolutely bloody have to? Mm. The only way you can actually make everybody safe is by enforcing it. And frankly, I see no enforcement anywhere. No, 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 there isn't. There isn't. And I don't know what the answer to that is. Well, I mean, I don't either. I'm sure that the Canary Islands would love to have that sense of, I don't know, its overness that the British government seems to be indulging in. So does the Irish. I mean, not just the British. Ireland, too, has lifted pretty much all of its restrictions. Um, They are pretty much outliers, aren't they? I mean, it's not what's happening in Europe. Having said that, this last sixth wave has been going from west to east, and now it's affecting Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Russia, Poland. Um, So really, and you can see our own figures here, they've gone right down. So the, the sixth wave is obviously yeah. over. Yeah. Um, will there be another one? Almost certainly. Of course there will. It's now being classed as endemic anyway. It's always going to be here. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So I don't know. I would like to think that people would always feel that they would need to wear a mask when they were in any kind of a crowded situation. So would I. And wearing a mask and being vaccinated to me is just being socially responsible and taking care of other people. And as Granny Weatherwax would say, not treating people like things, like things. Yeah. but expecting social responsibility from people does seem at times to be a bit of a big ask. It's funny. Exactly. I mean, and, and I'm just like we were talking tennis. We're not going to talk about tennis here, but <laughs> I do have I don't get up on my high horse about vaccinations. I don't know, maybe I should. Um, but I I find intransigence in any argument hard to deal with, whether it's about vaccinations or seatbelts or or drinking or you know, that if people aren't open to listen, and I hope that there are times when I am open to listen to my colleagues who have worried about vaccines and the effects they might have. My own daughter who was very concerned about what was in a vaccine and yes. she did, I mean she did get vaccinated. Um uh, intransigence it just turns me off <laughs> absolutely dogmatism yeah 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 I, d- I don't like it and, and we have to be aware that there are other people who have different views to us of course but, so. in everything you know we also have to listen to scientific fact and not fantasy we can read fantasy but by the way can i just i'm going <laughs> to drop this in here I have no idea who Joe Rogan is and why Spotify are so keen on him, by the way. I know it's a big row at the moment about him and, and I don't know, Neil Young and Janice and taking all their songs off Spotify and everyone's going, yes. Joe Rogan, the most famous podcaster in the world. I'm thinking, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. I am so behind no, the likewise. Times. likewise. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Granny Weatherwax. Um, <laughs> speaking of tourism well speaking of Los Cristianos and crowdedness we mentioned this briefly on the English Time programme last week but let's talk a little bit more about travel, public transport cars and sustainability on these islands now, when I first moved here and the tranvia or the tram had started to operate in Santa Cruz 
it wasn't just talk. There were plans in place and the stations were being picked out for the tram that was going to run from north to south and give public transport here a real boost and make it viable. And that never happened. So we have too many cars and we're now during COVID, the huge tailbacks on the motorways became a thing of the past. They're back. Yes, they're back. Traveling on the the TF1. Yeah. Yeah. And to school and and there's more tourists here. Traveling on the TF1 is a nightmare. Question mark. What can we do? Can there be? Is the train going to come back? Is there an idea to increase public transport? What's the latest? The latest is Pedro Martin, um, who's president of Tenerife Cabildo, said, I think in the last few days, that the train is now unlikely to go ahead. I mean, it, it has not been definitively ruled out like Ponsalia Harbour has been. That That is gone. That's not going to happen. Um, it looks like the train's going to go. This, it was always a bit in the sky, perhaps, but... And certainly environmentalists said it was pie in the sky. But it does look like now it's virtually being ruled out. And Such a shame. Sorry, I'm, it I'm is a, a fan it is of a shame. and trams. It is a shame that the answer the government has come up with, the regional government, is more roads. Because people are keeping having it. This is not an answer. This is actually not the solution. Because more roads... I remember many, many, many years ago now when the M25 was built around London, because I lived in London at the time. And people said, God, what a huge road it is. And yet others were saying, by the time it's finished, it'll be, there'll be too much traffic for it to work properly. And that was the case. The traffic expands, like in some sort of magical university, <laughs> the traffic expands to fill the space. Like my handbag. Available. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the answer to build more roads is it, it's but the big question is because where? it's just going to create yeah, and it's going to increase the problem. And we're sort of out of time here. Yeah. In in terms of the environment. We have to find something that's sustainable. And it has to be public transport. Now if they can build more roads. They can build infrastructure to give yeah. more public transport. If I could come to work and leave my car at home, if I could be guaranteed that I didn't have to spend an hour and 15 minutes on a bus for a journey that takes 12 minutes by car to get to work, I would yes. leave my car at home happily. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. As it is, I, I pay for the petrol. I now pay for parking because it's easier to just park in the, the parking. I pay a monthly monthly slot. Um, but I could leave my car at home happily and use it at weekends and I would be a very happy bunny. In Ireland, I never drove because I used public transport and I cycled because yes. I could get where I wanted to all the time using public transport and I could well, get there the on time. When, it was the same when we were in Leeds because we lived in Far Headingley, which is a straight road down about three miles away from the university. There's a bus stop virtually outside our house. Mm. And... There was a bus stop, obviously, right outside the university. <laughs> the The road was quite a busy road. And for me, and parking was problematic at the university. So it was second nature to me. Just walk out exactly. of my front door, Hop on a bus. 50 metres down the road, and you get on a bus and drops you off door yeah. to, literally door yeah. to door. I, I, when I go back to Dublin or now with with the kid in Brighton, I just, I love getting buses. I love yeah. the 
the traveling where I'm not worried about driving, parking, anything, or trains. I adore trains. I love getting yes, the train from trains. Dublin to Cork. That's yes, like I big love. adventure time. Um, my, but, my Welsh grandfather worked with the railways and really? when I was a little girl. Um, he, and because he worked with the railways, he had um, concessionary tickets. So we used to go everywhere by train. Ooh. And I loved trains I as a little girl. I can just, just about remember steam trains, but I don't really remember going on them. They were always diesel trains. But uh, what, what I wonder is if they are talking about expanding motorways, and they are doing, you know, more lanes. Why not have a lane and then have a tram yeah. in it? Yeah. Why does I mean, it have to be a lane for yet more cars? If they exactly. can envisage expanding the motorway, why not have a tramway yeah, instead exactly. of a car lane? And, but run it on electric lines as well, so it's, and it's not diesel or petrol run. I mean, exactly. all major. If it works in Santa Cruz, and it does work in Santa Cruz, I mean, it's a nice it's way well. to travel. Why yes, not extend it? it? You have the motorway, just add, I mean, the, the plan which would have been back in, I suppose, 2003 or four. it was pre-recession. So it was pre-2007 when the big global markets collapsed. Um, and yes. it seemed like a very viable plan. Yes, indeed. And it was going to be 20 minutes from Santa Cruz to the airport. And then, you know, there'd be another stop in, in I don't know, in 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 Arona, another stop in Los Cristianos. So maybe you'd get from Santa Cruz to where they in 40 minutes. But brilliant. The one thing that strikes me now is that environmentalism is beginning to impact on people, people's awareness to such an extent that, for example, with Fonsalia, the environmental arguments won in a way they that did. they never had a chance in Granadilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah they did. And, and just in, in that 10 years or so, people's attitudes have hardened so much that you can't just yeah. throw money and corporate interests at infrastructure that is not sustainable. And so that does allow for a little bit of hope. And there are that, local elections next year. Exactly. And people do care and they can see the urgency increasingly, I think. Mm. They can mm. see the urgency of it. Yeah. And so when plans are announced, such as, oh, we're going to expand the motorway because there are, you know, there's too many cars for the existing infrastructure, people are starting to say, well, who's going to benefit? Follow the money. Yeah. I mean, it's and again, not for us. <laughs> The, the figures that came out last week in the Spanish press that there was almost one car per person in the island, but there were only, but that there weren't that many driving licenses around. So that means you're talking rental cars and you're talking people who have multiple fleets and you're talking, you know, people who are using two, two or three cars and they're using them on the roads. And you're thinking, why do we need this many cars here? Exactly. I exactly. mean, there should be anybody who lives here. Transport. Yeah. And to travel either first be. thing in the morning or after half past three, four o'clock along the TF1 from Adeje to Los Cristianos or as far as Guasa is just a nightmare. Exactly. But, you know, it's the same old story, isn't it? Whether you're talking about transport infrastructure or tourism or recovery. Let's just consider the situation in La Palma right now where they are talking about recovery and recuperation and whether they build on top of the colladas of lava or whether they excavate out. And residents and local groups of um, Asociaciones de Vecinas, they, they are neighbourhood groups then. They, they are up in arms because they're not being consulted. Yeah. And they fear that the decisions that are being made are not taking into account what people need or want, 
but are there because the it seems to be stuck in a rut, the ideas that come out of government here sometimes, that the answer to everything is more tourism, more development, more construction. And yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're talking about roads, tourism policy, recuperation of La Palma after the eruption. It's the same answer every time. Let's use it for tourism, let's develop, and let's start construction. And these are filling people's pockets, but they're not helping the environment, they're no. not helping the public, and the public are beginning to shout about it. They now, are, La they Palma, are. At least. And I think the public engagement is only going to increase because we are seeing, are we not right now, we are seeing already some effects of climate change here. Because Fuerteventura so. is saying there are parts now that are suffering from sea level rises there because quite a flat island really overall. And we've, we've had what meteorologists are now saying over the last few years, we are, we've always known that January is a month of storms or calamities, sometimes in succession. Yeah, and February. February we've never had it so that they bang together. As they as have they this have year. And they've started doing so in the last two or three years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Meteorologists say that this is obviously a trend associated with climate change. Mm. And it is beginning to impact on people in ways that it didn't before, and they're beginning to sound off about it. One can only hope with elections coming up that that translates into some sort of political shift. Mm. I mean, it's affecting people's health as well, directly. This bloody rut of tourism, development, construction. There's got to be other answers. There has to be. Has to be. And it's it, it, you can't just include the word sustainability into a headline and hope that people will think, oh, well, that's grand then. That's what they're doing, isn't it? They're using buzzwords. And, and this is what politicians do. And it's time. Well, I said in my lifeboat post, politics has failed in its traditional form. It has to change. Yeah, as the we'll climate see. changes, as the world changes, politics has to change too. Let's see. I mean, let's see. I think the next couple of years could be very interesting. Yes, indeed. Anyway, let us end... <laughs> people won't be surprised who know us on <laughs> one of our favorite topics every year and we can now really talk about it because it's spain related the eurovision the eurovision, yeah, the eurovision song club is all underway the irish the country. irish entry will be in fact here's a little insider the irish entry is to be voted on next week and there's at least one of the entrants who I think might have a very good chance, who is a regular visitor to Tenerife. And I've been kind of promised an interview with her next time she's here. So let's see how that goes. But Spain controversially picked their winner on Saturday. And it's by Chanel and it's called Slow Mo. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, I watched it and I thought, yeah, it's just like, you know, the Ukrainians with the big hair coming out with the skimpy costumes and doing high kicky dances and, bumpy grindy songs and it's grand and i mean it's fine but i, I sure. not, it's not my cup of tea I, it's not my cup of tea either to me it looks like a cross between serbia's entry last year um Loco, cyprus um and of course cyprus um Elenia, a couple of years ago now with fuego yeah um it, it's been hugely controversial the win because for um, many reasons for, for many reasons, including one, it's a bit spanglishy. It's a not bit. purely. Estoy ready. Not purely, <laughs> yeah, it's not purely Spanish. Many people say it certainly doesn't represent 
any Spanish cultural motifs at all. It it is very like Fuego was. I, I mean, mean, it is raunchy. Cypress were singing Fuego in Spanish, so exactly. you know. <laughs> that's true. And this is the but first the time. Thing that, if, go on, sorry, Jan. No, 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 it's okay. The other, the other thing many people are saying is it, it it is obviously the sort of song that is a very good has very good commercial legs, and they perceive that sometimes these song contests choose winners that will have a commercial um, opportunities for them, particularly in Latin America. And there is something, they're talking about things like Despacito. Okay. Or there was one with um, an American group together with Little Mix, Something Lento. Um, a little while ago is very Spanglishy, very Latino, hmm. and it does very well commercially in Latin America and South America. Yeah, and they feel they feel that this is the market that that these songs are chosen for their marketability in rather than their winning ability, rather than for winning the rep- rather than not just even for winning the Eurovision Song Contest, but to represent something actually Spanish as a but- representation of the country, and that's the controversy really. I suppose, first of all, it was the first song in a long time that was chosen at a festival. Now, yes, the voting indeed. itself. So there was twenty. There was a 50% jury vote, a 25% tele... Like a kind of, yeah. And then a pop, pop, popular vote. And she won yes. in the jury vote and she came second and third in the other votes. But anyway, she's won. Yes. Yes. The thing is, if you want to win the Eurovision, very few songs that stick to national traditional cultural sounds win let's be honest I couldn't agree more and I think the controversy is a real clash about modern Spain in a way Mm. because it does represent a a tension in Spain they want to be very much Spanish cultural and yet there's a big wide world out there yeah because you look at I mean when Iceland nearly what should have won two years ago when the Eurovision was cancelled absolutely second or third this year their song was just delightfully quirky, but it really, their video last year brought Iceland into it, but it had very little to do with Iceland, the song. Absolutely. Um, and, and when you think about um, Ziti Boni from yeah. my Boniskin last year, I mean, that, that was hardly Italian. No, it was song. just brilliant European It was just rock. a bloody good song. Yeah. It and Denmark's really violin song that won, I can't remember the name of it, like t- 10 years ago, the violin playing singer, that was just, a, again, listen, at the end of the day, what will win Eurovision is a very, very good song or an excellent gimmick. And if Absolutely. you can combine them, that's both. The Spanish yeah. entry is fine. We're going to play it in a second. I mean, it's grand. It's fine. But it is, it's not outstanding. It doesn't have an outstanding hook in terms to be of... To fair, none of them did. In, in, to me, no. in the final, none of them were going to get... We're going to have too much of a chance of getting on the left-hand side of the board anyway. No, one thing no. I would say is that Chanel, I mean, she did her best. She sung her song. And, and she the won dance the and the performance is good. And, she, you know, it, it was well done. What I hate is that the controversy about the whole nature of the entry has, in many cases, resulted in personal abuse on her on social media. And that is totally unacceptable. Agreed, you might hate 100%. the song. You might hate the culture. But don't attack the girl. She was just yeah. singing the bloody thing, you know. Yeah, and she sang as well. I mean, and, and she, she performed well. and she danced. And, you yeah. know, I, I think it could lift Spain out of the bottom five. I hope so. You know, because the last so. couple of years. For that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, again, then there's the whole other controversy about the big five Spain, Germany, France, 
uh, ooh, Italy and the UK, who don't have to go through the semi-final process. Um, you know, because they because they're the highest contributors to the European Broadcasting Union. So that's a whole. So they go straight into the final, and I think they lose out because of that, because they don't have the same competitive edge. And they they, if you get through a semi final, you've already kind of brought a whole great gang of people with you. Exactly, and you've been promoted twice already because the t- semi finals are now broadcast. Yeah, so you've, so been, you've been promoted, and people have seen it. Whereas often. Whereas with the big five, people haven't seen them very yeah. often before the final. Um, of course, Italy also... breaks that rule because they won last year, you know. So exactly so, exactly so. But they're not one. One of the it, it really is quite odd that I think there is a pushback against the big five. Often that the chance of winning is so reduced because not only do people not become familiar enough with the songs. But they feel, well, you sort of got to the final without yeah. even having to try. Yeah. So they so have to be doubly it. brilliant. And Absolutely. And I think, to be fair, France, over the last five years, has produced songs that any other country would have won with. Very some possibly, latest, yeah. Last some year of the was recent superb. French voilà. entries, you know, was utterly stunning, yeah. some of yeah. them. Yeah. Roi, voilà. I mean, they, voilà could easily voilà have was won. Gorgeous. Think, was gorgeous. It was utterly ma- magic. And over the last five years, France's entries, and they keep just getting better and better and better. Mm. But I think it's because France is one of the big five. People yeah. will not vote. And, and look at the UK. I mean, I haven't been a fan of much of their songs, but they certainly <clears> haven't <throat> merited last place either. But again, there's this sense of, and it has damn all to do with Brexit people. I do think there is this just, if you are from the big five, your song has to be absolutely top to win yes. because people and, have to overcome yeah. that resentment exactly and of yeah. course the UK's entries have not been that brilliant no, no. so they, they were really already going to struggle a little bit yeah. I think so Janet we have alienated people who don't like Terry <laughs> Pratchett who don't like the Eurovision who don't know who Arthur Dent is um so <laughs> I hope to God that somebody who has listened this listen to this has managed to stick with us from beginning to end and if and they understood have, at least a little bit of what we've been talking about or <laughs> even thought it was mildly amusing but even, but just to really kind of put the nail in the coffin we're going to play out with a little bit of Chanel slow-mo that will represent Spain in Turin in Italy in May is it May it should be May. It should be May. I don't in know what Turin. the date is. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, if you're really lucky next next time we're on air, we'll get the Irish entry in too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Janet, it's been well, a pleasure slow-mo, as always. Slow-mo, everybody. Slow-mo. Slow-mo. Let's go. Llegó la mami, la reina, la dura, una bucari. El mundo está loco con este party. Si tengo un problema, no monetari. Le vuelvo loquito, todo lo tari. Pues siempre primero, nunca secundari. Apenas con zoom, zoom, con mi boom, boom. Y le tengo dando zoom, zoom, con Miami. Y no se confunda, señora y señores. Siempre te reí. Pa' romper cadera, romper corazones. Solo existe una. No hay 